0: Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer.
1: Hold on, I gotta dig into some ice here, Tuttle. You gotta load up my drink. Nice. I'm not sure if you can hear that. But it's a late night podcast on the East Coast. Just got done calling uh, some Astros, Baltimore. It was a tight ball game. I'm recycling, and uh, it was a good time. I'm I'm a little tired. It's been a r- tough stretch. The girls are getting back into volleyball for me. Uh, I've got one sophomore who's playing varsity volleyball, and then I've got three freshmen playing freshman volleyball and. There was already a 5.30 wake-up call, there was a 7.15 pickup from practice, there was an all-day tournament, so I'm kind of getting into the thick of things, and being that it is a night podcast, a rarity on Bleacher Blum's that you're listening to with myself, Jeff Blum, 14-year veteran of Major League Baseball, and now I broadcast for the last seven years with the Houston Astros, joined by my good buddy on the West Coast. It's bright and early, what, maybe 9.15, where Tuttle is at on the West Coast, you can Reach him at real David Tuttle on Twitter, myself at Blummer27 on Twitter. But, uh, Tuttle, how you doing? I'm going to take a sip of this uh, Tito's and soda right here, buddy.
0: Nice. Tito's Austin, not quite Houston, but Austin. I've got my, uh, I've got a little Ruka session IPA. And I know Ruka is a t shirt company, but they, uh, they, uh, had a little, I don't know what you call it, uh, co produced beer like no can, you, can you, you know what it is they call a it
1: nowadays we gotta what get we
0: gotta call it a collab oh collab <laughs> i knew there was an no abbreviation it had co in it collab collaboration <laughs> with uh ruka and saint archer so i'm drinking that but yeah you're it's a late night for you i just i wrote down a note when you started talking about volleyball so if you have three girls i know you have triplets they're all on the freshman volleyball team i think there's six volleyball players on the court at a time that would make the freshman volleyball team at whatever high school your daughters are going to half-blum, wouldn't it? I mean, that's that's crazy. Yeah, we got, where, where's your daughter? Uh, Her, her, and her. What? You know what? It's funny you say that,
1: and you have twins too. And uh, so you know that even when you're walking through the mall, people go, wow, that one looks like the other one. And my triplets are very similar. I have identical twins with a fraternal triplet. And they are all the same height. They're all the same hair color, same eye color, same skin tone. And it is confusing. And they do have different numbers. We didn't give them all, you know, I didn't give them 1A, 1B, 1C. And uh, they luckily have different numbers. But you're right. When they take the court, they take up half the court with all blums. And it's kind of funny. What's funny is to watch the opposing team because they're trying, you know, their coach goes, serve it to, you know, number, serve it to the one in the back right. And she's going. Wait, who's the back right girl? Wait, she looks like the back left girl. Am I aiming at the right person? So it's kind of funny. And when they switch out, when they rotate in and out, they have to go in front of the ref and put their hand up and tag in and they gotta say, okay, you're good. And they've actually had the situation where they've they've, you know, flipped with each other, and you'll see the hesitation in the side judge who will look at him and go, What what? you just came in you came in for yourself like the confusion is hilarious so thank god they have numbers on their back and they're able to to delineate that but eventually here in the next couple of years hopefully when they get to varsity i will have four of four six or what is that two thirds of the team on the court will be blums and it's kind of funny and even going back to when uh, we were playing softball and the triplets were playing on a softball team and you know this because i think you've got a softball player on your team they have 10 10 kids on the team and we would account for, you know, 30% of the team. And if we would decide yeah. to go on vacation a week, the, the team had to forfeit, the, forfeit the game on the weekend. So it was kind of tough to do, uh, plan family vacations around softball season.
0: Yeah. Everybody thinks, you know, ex-professional athlete here, you got the girls on the team, you got it exactly the way you want. And then you come back into town and they're yelling at you because they had to forfeit three games <laughs> over the weekend. Cause you went, you went away for the weekend. It doesn't sound fair yeah uh i'm doing great out here on the west coast gosh i I don't know why we got uh sidetracked there but that's impressive three out of the six girls on on the floor at at one time obviously i'm assuming a volleyball team's bigger than six people so you have nine or 12 girls and i'm sure there's a a rotation there but uh yeah it's kind of nice to do a late night podcast my uh my wife and son are actually traveling they're up in seattle and uh i got the other girls down and uh have a couple beers on Friday night and see if I can't get together with my boy Blummer, If keep him awake at least, right?
1: No, you're doing a good job at that. Yeah, it's it's been a rough stretch. I played golf this morning. I mean, It's tough, man. You know, it's a grind. I really have got to admit, and I know you feel my pain knowing that I had to get up this morning and play golf with uh, Steve Sparks. I mean, of course, my boy Todd Callis. And I was money for about five holes. And then all of a sudden I woke up and went back to who I normally am and uh, proceeded to play bogey golf the rest of the way. But uh, I fought through that. I came back to the hotel. I had a nap. You know, I really had to power down and reboot the system. <laughs> and, and I took my nap and then I filled out my scorecard and prepped for for, the, for the, tonight's game. And uh, and here we are. So we have a night podcast. And I think, you know, it's, it, what's tough and I think we kind of, Total, total, will uh, expound on this is that we had such high hopes during the regular season to be able to do these podcasts and we got on such a good roll with the Jake Marisnik brawling situation and the suspension and then all of a sudden we got into the trade deadline we cranked out the trade deadline and we kind of faltered a little bit and backed off because of the timing of situation here in summer trying to get the podcast out but I know that uh, doing the late night podcast may, it may end up being pretty interesting so hang on through the rest of this podcast because by the end of it, it, it you might f- hear some things you may not have anticipated hearing on Bleacher Blums.
0: I'm with you on that and uh like I said I, I I appreciate the podcast I think I say that every time and and I believe where we're going with this is because we have um had some success with it and we enjoy it is that um aside from the Marisnik thing and then the trade deadline I th- I kind of feel like the format and the you know, just kind of the, the tone of it's going to change in the off season, but we're certainly going to be able to kind of make it more regular and kind of let this thing take shape. And that way heading into next season, look at this, this is like our spring training of our podcast year. Um, we're going to, we're going to have it dialed in and I think uh, it'll be important enough to, you know, do what we do have a few late nights in Baltimore and, uh, get the podcast out there, uh, every week or, you know, maybe twice a week, who knows?
1: yeah we we can do a better job that's but i'm also i'm with you in the sense that i am grateful for the opportunity and i'm i'm kind of grateful for the pressure that fans are putting on us to put the podcast out so i am i'm thankful that Tuttle's able to get on here and do this too and it's a lot of fun we we enjoy it and we also enjoy the pressure that fans are listening and want to hear the voice of of David Tuttle and myself Jeff Blum and get on here and talk a little bit and we kind of hinted at the fact that there were trade. The trade deadline has passed, and the Astros kind of shocked the world in a sense. And I want to go back to that uh, July thirty first deadline. As we got to four p.m. East Coast time, we kind of saw the Astros make the trade for the Aaron Sanchez, Joe Biagini, and we kind of said, okay, you know, a, a little bit of a lateral move. They're going to they're going to fill some spots. Maybe have that part time fifth starter come in, and Aaron Sanchez Biagini fills in for maybe Brad Peacock. Uh, Ryan Presley, who was on the IL, he just came off of the the IL tonight and did a great job in that eighth inning. But we kind of sat there flat-footed going, hmm, you know, the game's changing a little bit, the market and the free agency is changing, and now all of a sudden the trade market's changing a little bit because everybody covets their young talent so much. And we heard that the Astros weren't going to trade Kyle Tucker, Forrest Whitley, these two coveted prospects. And all of a sudden, two minutes before that deadline, it just went hush and it passes nobody's tweeting anything and I said pencils down so that you know like when we used to take those SAT tests or whatever it was they would, you know, the teacher would scream pencils down and the deadline is hit you can't do any more yet there was still action going on and we found out a good 10-15 minutes later that Jeff Luno pulled off the trade of the season in going out and getting Zach Granke he did trade four very good prospects but he got a potential hall of famer in Zach Granke a a number one for the Arizona diamondbacks. And now he's a part of, of the four horsemen, if not five with Aaron Sanchez going into the fifth spot of the rotation. So he made the big splash and Tuttle. I was kind of surprised And a lot of the banter around that trade deadline was not so much what the Astros did, but what the Yankees didn't do, what the Dodgers didn't do. They didn't go out and make that big splash and make that, take that chance on one of these names You know, the Zach Wheelers, the Robbie Rays, the, you know, uh, uh, Matthew Boyd, I believe, out in Detroit. Some of these other names where they thought they would be able to bring in guys to enhance themselves. So on paper at the trade deadline, it looked like an even race between the New York Yankees, you know, the Houston Astros, L.A. Dodgers. And then all of a sudden, 15 minutes after that deadline, boom, the Astros have vaulted themselves into that World Series contender if not potential winner. And they're the ones that made the move and caught the Yankees and Dodgers flat footed. What do you got?
0: Awesome stuff, Blummer. I, I think that's great analysis. I think it's funny because, you know, we, I, we, I at least sometimes come to the, you know, come to the table saying, Oh, I got to look that up or I don't know the statistics, but you know, the landscape has changed. We talk about contracts. We talked about the, the way, um, the, that the young prospects are coveted these days. And I think that, Um, there, there is a little bit of watching, you know, like the Dodgers are watching to see what the other teams are doing. It doesn't look like there's a lot happening, but I think Jeff Luno gets a lot of credit for that. And more importantly, if he didn't do anything, just like the Yankees didn't do anything, the Dodgers didn't do anything. I mean, you were talking about the pressure on us about the podcast. Like they get crushed. They get crushed in social media. I mean, the Astro fans would be like, oh great. We got Biagini and the Sanchez kid. And obviously that's prior to the no hitter. And we're going to get to that, but you know, okay. We made a couple moves, a couple tweaks here, but Jeff Luno, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to, he's not, don't, don't interpret this the wrong way. He's not on the hot seat, but if you're going to go down, go down shooting, right? Guns blazing. Like if Luno, if something doesn't happen and they don't, you know, make the world series this year, the playoffs again, and now you're like, okay, they won one two years ago. And there are some challenges here you, you got to tip your cap to the guy because he, he's trying to make moves to make the team better. And uh, I know Granky's start initially wasn't the, uh, the, the start that all the Astros fans were hoping for, but getting a no hitter out of Sanchez and then having Zach Granke get a W. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Brian Cashman, I think is probably secure in his own skin and secure in his job but uh but I think it definitely not only does it make the Astros the front runner I think it gets the uh fan base and the support of the city behind the team and what's more important than that heading into the playoffs I don't know
1: no that is an excellent point because what happens sometimes and kind of gets lost you know, and that's what TK, Julie, and I try and do is really understand the interaction between the fans and the team, and that's a great point because a lot of times, you know, the GMs will – they're not necessarily worried about what the fan base is going to say. I mean, you know, you know, Twitter, you know, brings out some of the – sometimes the worst in people, but at the same time, they're not worried about that. They, they want to do what's best for the team, and I think the byproduct and the understanding of Jeff Luno and Jim Crane is, is if we do this, we are going – you're gonna sell tickets. You're gonna get guys in the seats. They're gonna start tuning into these broadcasts. You're gonna get more attention. And the more attention you get, the better it is for everybody in that sense. And they're doing a very good job in doing that. And a lot of credit, like you said, needs to go towards Jeff Luno, who took a chance. He was able to keep his two most coveted prospects, yet trade away four other four others to get Zach Granke. The Aaron Sanchez, Joe Biagini trade was just kind of a a, a move that they made to have some depth. There wasn't really any emphasis put on that and it opened up a spot because Derek Fisher was the guy traded so it opened up an opportunity for him to go to an organization where he's gonna play in the big leagues and hopefully blossom um, but Jim Crane you know that's one guy who really I don't think has gotten much credit he's a guy who played uh, college baseball had an injury became a successful businessman you know what there are there are a few owners for me in this day and age who still have that competitive nature like a guy like Jim Crane and it was kind of funny around that trade deadline after the move was made the comparison between the yankees and astros the astros are turning into the golden state warriors or the the evil empire so to speak of baseball because they had the guts or the balls to go out there and make that move and a lot of the credit goes to jim crane because he had to decide how much of that contract he's going to take on from zach granke he already signed justin verlander to two more years but he's a competitive guy who probably took the reins off and said hey jeff do what you got to do. I've got your back. I believe in you.
0: That's that's another great point. I I I think what's what's kind of lost here too and you brought up you you touched on this a little bit. I think this is hopefully the fan perspective for me or the you know obviously the the non big leaguer voice here is I think I try and put everything in compartments and I think when I was playing obviously you you can attest to this. You want I think everybody's looking at Zach Greinke's contract, going, "All right, he's an ace, he's a number one." You know, uh, I'm going to touch on uh, Kershaw later, probably, and what'll Tuttle say. And and he's, the, you know, Greinke. You already touched on. He's a future Hall of Famer. You're coming to a team. Who cares what Greinke's contract is, right? Jim Crane said, "Sure, I'll sign off on that." That guy's an ace. You know, on nine out of ten teams that we're talking about, uh, he's an ace on the Diamondbacks. He's an ace on the Padres. If he went there, he'd be an ace. If he went to, you know uh, Cleveland, he's, he's the guy he's coming to a team in the Astros that has Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole. I mean, there really is no pressure on, uh, on Granke. And then if you flip that, he might put pressure on himself, but as a player, you know, you don't necessarily play to your contract. You earned the contract that you got, but that, you know, he earned that contract four or five years ago. He's not going to apologize for that contract. You know, he's not going to pitch five years. You know, he's not going to pitch like he's five years younger. He's going to go out every night, and that's what that contract will do for him. I I don't know what kind of guy he is in the clubhouse. I know he's had some, like, uh, social anxiety issues, but that guy just looks like a professor. I mean, he looks like he knows what he's doing. He's got four or five pitches. He's going to look at the scouting report. Who wouldn't want, especially with the way that Wade Miley's, you know, I've seen the tweets, right, the four horsemen, and Wade Miley kind of gets, like, dusted off and put in the back. You could throw out Verlander, Garrett Cole, Wade Miley, and oh, by the way, we're going to bring in Zach Greinke as our fourth starter. Put Zach Greinke against any three or four starter, not just in the league, but on those playoff teams, right? I mean, I think it it puts obviously the Astros in in a great position. And I think that's where the media part kind of blows this out of proportion when you as an ex-ball player and me being in the clubhouse, we understand, like, I don't care how much money Zach Granke's making. I don't care if he's our number one starter. Every day is a clean slate. Who's on the bump today? All right, give us, like, five or six scoreless, man. We'll, we'll make it happen, you know? And I, and I think that's the – you guys won three to two tonight. I, I don't know who started tonight, but I don't think it was Verlander, Kilcole, or Granke. So, I mean, that's the way it goes.
1: Yeah, Wade Miley went out there and did a good job today. And you're right. He just kind of gets, you know, even on some of the uh, the bigger networks or the MLB accounts where you see, oh, they've got the three aces. And, and Wade Miley's sitting in the back going, hey, uh, I've got a three ERA and I've got, I've got, uh, you know, I go six innings every time I go out there. I give up three runs or less. Really doing a good job of giving my team an opportunity. So Wade Miley's done a good job, you know, kind of rounding out that rotation.
0: And I, and I think that that is so true, but again, nobody, you know, Wade Miley on MLB.com or wherever on MLB TV or, or nationally uh, recognized in the media doesn't get a lot of credit because again, his contract, it's kind of like three years ago, he was struggling last year, or that would be, yeah, two years ago. So two years ago, he's struggling a little bit to try and figure it out three years ago. Last year he goes to Milwaukee and they kind of use him in a different role and he figures out some things. He watched some film. He's kind of, I guess, uh, media wise, I've heard that he had an interview where he talked about the things that he worked on. He worked on, you know, changing speeds or getting this better and using his velocity and deception. I I mean, that's where the media loses the point. And to, and to your point, Wade Miley, like, you know, Hey, what about me back here? He's just going to go out and keep doing his thing, but it's because he hasn't had the longevity. And the success and the longevity uh that other guys have had but great for him i mean that just keep flying under the radar i mean the astros don't care go out there and give me six six innings every night with two runs and everybody will tip their cap
1: i was gonna say he may not go out there and get the Granky type or the verlander type money but you're right there, are, there are, i guarantee you there's 29 other managers out there right now that would go yeah i would take that guy in a heartbeat because he goes out there he works fast he competes he's not afraid of contact And he's going to give me six innings strong. And tell me, you know, tell me there's not a guy in that bullpen right now who sees Wade Miley take the mound and sits back and goes, oh, I'm so glad Miley's out there because he's going to give us at least five very good innings, if not six, every time he goes out there. And that's a huge thing. That's a huge boost for those guys in the bullpen because they know they're going to be pitching in competitive games. But another thing that kind of gets, you know, overlooked maybe is – The fact of how well some of these guys in the bullpen work when they know what their role is
0: think about any other business scenario just while you were talking i was thinking about your family life right i mean you were talking about joking you know you're golfing so you went to your daughter's volleyball game then you got to get on the flight and then you got to you know get to bed early so you can get up and golf the next day and then you can broadcast like the schedule is kind of laid out for you At home, it's the same thing, and at your job, it's the same thing. But if somebody pulls the fire alarm at work, you know, you jump out of your chair and you run out of the building, like, oh, you know, oh shit, the the building's on fire. Like, what's going on? I think it's the same thing. And I had experience as a starter, but out of the bullpen as well. And my throwing program was like, all right, every day I could throw. I didn't throw, you know, I didn't throw an actual side every day. But you knew you could throw long toss, and you're like, all right, if I can get, if the starter can get to the fifth, sixth, seventh inning all right, then I can, you know, I'll warm up the outfielder in the sixth inning. Then I'll warm them up in the seventh inning. I'm ready to go in the eighth inning. Like you can have that routine. If the starter goes out there and gets blown up in the third inning and they're looking down, they're going, all right, well, Tuttle hasn't thrown in three days, like get loose. You're like, ah! you know, it's like, it's like the fire alarm ringing at school or ringing in the building. And I, and I, and that's what every other, this is why these guys get paid a lot. I mean, every other job kind of has the, the routine set up and uh, believe me, nobody likes the monotony and the humdrum of everyday life, emails, all that stuff. But I will tell you, having your life scheduled out and having a routine can create success. And uh, especially in baseball, as you know, and in sports and these guys, you know, Wade Miley, Verlander, Cole, and obviously I think cranky will come along. I mean, he's number one, number two starter on every other team. You got four starters that are going to make the bullpen, you know, have a, a routine, nice and relaxed. We know that we got to get through the seventh inning. We got Presley, and then we got Asuna. It's going to be a, it's going to be an awesome, um, it's going to be an awesome thing to watch for the next two months, and hopefully lead into the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I I, I am in complete agreement on that, it, and it's part of the routine. You know whether or not whether or not it's baseball. You know in football, you know when, if there's a third down guy, you know that they're going to bring him in. If it's you know it, there's certain situations where if you know, if you can anticipate the situation, you're going to be that much better prepared. And I think that's kind of what the Astros are developing with having their starters go so deep and it can back these guys up a little bit. And if they need a day off, they can, they can, they have other guys that can plug in there and not panic and have those guys uh, mix in. I want to ask you something real quick. You know, Jeff Luno is one of those guys that kind of bucks the trend a little bit as far as GMs are concerned. And we talked about the Yankees being flat-footed. I thought it was kind of interesting that Zach Granke was actually pitching in Yankee Stadium on the trade deadline of July 31st. And, you know, that is rare. Do you think that that, you know, it's always taboo. Do you trade for a guy who's actually pitching on the trade deadline because of risk of injury, whatever it is, or if he's getting shelled, you know, all oh, you traded for this guy that just gave it the world. Did you see anything quirky about that? Or did you, do you think it's that big a deal?
0: good question i uh you know what I think I think again, this is maybe why we get along i I kind of think a lot of uh, stuff um there's too much red into too many things, obviously, if he got injured i mean yasi puig let's let's change tack here. he got traded he was actually already a Cleveland Indian <laughs> and he's throwing haymakers, just haymakers in front of the dugout so um You know maybe he breaks his hand or breaks his finger and the gm what are you going to say the gm looks like an idiot uh i don't know anyway i i i have an answer for you i'm just trying to think about the best way to articulate it i don't think it's that out of the ordinary i don't think luno was like oh yeah we gotta you know let's like he's pitching on this day or whatever you've got your advanced scouts you know this very well you got your advanced mlb scouts you know what they are. If Jim Crane signs off on the fact that, oh, yeah, we're going to eat some of the contract because, it, you know, it is a big contract, which obviously the media jumped on right away. Um, you know, it's like a number one or number two starter long-term contract. I, I just, I don't see a problem with it. I mean, especially if this guy's going to carry you into the playoffs. He's going to start every fifth day from here on out. So he's starting on the deadline. So what? We've done our homework. Now, if he blows out his arm on that day and they've already traded for him, um, I mean, I guess that kind of comes with the territory. I I do know even in the minor leagues, uh, you and I both discussed the fact that we got traded on the deadline. I was warming up in the bullpen, I think, in the sixth or seventh inning, and they shut me down, and I didn't know why, and they brought somebody else in the game. And then after the game, they called me in the office and told me I got traded. So, I mean, I I never even thought that that was the precaution that they took. But, yeah, I mean, if it's – they don't do it with position players, do they? I mean, Puig was in the game, so – Yeah. So I, I I just, I don't know. I don't know if, I mean, I guess were you trying to, to intimate that Luna was just doing something out of the ordinary obviously it's Yankee stadium. He's like trying to pull Granky out of like the Yankees are trying to trade for him. Like we're going to take him right off the mound at Yankee stadium and bring him into the Astros clubhouse. Or were you just trying to, um, to intimate that it's a little unusual that, you know, he started that day and they, and they, and they made the move for him.
1: Yeah, I just think it was a little unusual, but I also appreciate the dramatic effect of actually taking the guy out of a game against the, you know, the, the they're basically their rival in the American League in the New York Yankees and said, okay, with that guy that's shutting you down right now, I'm going to trade for him and I'm going to put him on my team and hopefully in the American League Championship Series, we'll be back here and I'll have that same guy on the bump who's shutting you guys down. And speaking of shutting guys down, we haven't talked about Aaron Sanchez and his debut and you're not going to do better than what uh, Aaron Sanchez did as far as a debut. I know that historically there have been a couple of guys who have done a very good job in their debuts with teams, uh, if not going out there with a the shutout ball game, but throwing no-hit baseball. And Aaron Sanchez went out there and did that in throwing six no-hit innings against the Seattle
0: Mariners. Hear that? Do you hear Is that? Okay? Yeah, yeah. It's a dog when that sirens go the on dog. yeah your dog sounds Man, like a crying kid can you hear alfred come here alfred come here he, uh when there's a siren that goes on i swear to god that's a si- siren so we can leave that in the podcast when a siren drives by outside that's what he does
1: holy cow that, he that was crazy like
0: got- oh did it sound like he got shot or something no i thought it
1: was like one of your kids
0: yeah. listen
1: Mark at the moon. We need Alfred to do the siren. Yeah. yeah. Here, I'll mute to, this. He, he's trying yeah, to mimic just... the.
0: Yep. Yep. Alfred. Hold on a second. Alfred, come here. <laughs>
1: what are you doing?
0: Yeah, that was him mimicking the siren. I don't know how much of that you want to edit out. That's hilarious, though. <laughs> All right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I wrote down the time, so I can, I can chew a chunk out of that out of there. That is hilarious. I've never heard that before. But Aaron Sanchez was an acquisition that we talked about, maybe just kind of flew under the radar or was just a move to maybe, you know, be a fifth starter, filler-type guy. But uh, the native of Barstow, California, stepped up and threw six no-hit innings. And I don't know if you were watching the broadcast or not, uh, Tuttle, and – you know I don't want to take anything away from what Aaron Sanchez was doing but it kind of brings up you know we talked about jinxes being weak how do you approach this whole situation and you being a pitcher I'm not sure if you've ever been in a no-hit type situation or how you feel about it but the taboo and the thinking is you don't mention it even if you're a player on the bench and I've been I've been on teams that we've been no hit against I was in the The uh, Carlos Zambrano no-hitter from Hurricane Ike, I believe it was, when Dud Selig, the commissioner at the time, moved us to Milwaukee and put us in front of every Cub fan on the planet, which sucked. I I will never forgive him for that. And then uh, I was also on the team that performed a six-pitcher combined no-hitter in Yankee Stadium, and that, oddly enough, was the last time there was a no-hitter with six pitchers combined until... We just saw Aaron Sanchez and four pitchers go out there and throw a no hitter against the Seattle Mariners and an important, there's so many weird things about this. So uh, there's me playing in one. And then I got to call one, which was my first no hitter. We can talk about that a little bit, maybe a little bit later. And then how about the Seattle Mariners wearing it for the second time? Because on the, in anaheim when they dedicated basically dedicated the game to tyler skaggs in remembrance of him they got no hit so when within three weeks the seattle Mariners got no hit and combined no hitters twice which is a feat in itself but uh what what are your thoughts on being a pitcher who's throwing a no hitter and having any of these guys or anybody on your team say anything to you
0: personally in the dugout about a no hitter how do you feel about that great question i i think um i, I don't know if you and i've discussed this on air off air uh you know obviously the jinxes are for the week thing is great we've covered that ad nauseum which is you know broadcasters can't jinx it anything like that my whole thing and people love to say baseball players are superstitious which also bothers me i wasn't necessarily superstitious but i think like i already mentioned before with the bullpen and the starters, like you just want to kind of be a creature of habit, right? Like it's nice to know when you're going to go in and what things are going to happen. So, you know, Oral Hirschheiser once said, like, he's trying to throw a no hitter every time out. If the first guy hits a seed in the center field, he's like, all right, I'm going to throw a one hitter, right? You know, you just, you just are always kind of chipping away at the block. And that's that, you know, that's that kind of level headedness we've talked about. And that's that determination that we've talked about. You just got to keep kind of getting after it. And so, you know, I think I went five or six innings one time and still had no hits, but I just wanted to come in the same, you know, door of the dugout, right? If there's two doors to the dugout, if I always went in the left door, I want to go in that door and I wanted to sit by the water cooler and whatever, wrap the towel around my arm, whatever that was, that was fine. If somebody like threw a piece of gum or spit on my shoe or like got pissed off and threw a sunflower, like you don't control any of that stuff. That, That has nothing to do with what you're doing out there. I guess you don't want a guy to come up to you and go, man, you got a no hitter going, but they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't do that anyway. Right. It's kind of the same thing you said about Lou Pinella going, Oh, this bat sucks. No wonder you can't hit. Like you don't want anybody kind of throwing your routine off. Right. And, and you know this very well, like if you're over three with three punch outs, you see guys. And I love the fact that good commentators do this. I see Kruko do it every once in a while. Obviously you played, You know, oh look, it looks like he's using uh, Garrett Cole's bat. You know, you know he's 0 for three with three punch outs, and it's like Bregman's up there with the 35, 35, (laughs) like trying to swing it or whatever. Like, you know, these guys will do anything to get a hit, and I think all those kind of routines fall into place for most big leaguers, and uh, or most, you know, most athletes in general. And so for me, I guess I wouldn't want anybody to say I was pitching like crap or I'm pitching great. And I think it falls into that category. But if, you know, if different things happen during the inning or if you have a long inning, that's the other thing the media loves to ask you. You had six no-hit innings and then they scored nine runs and you sat there for 47 minutes and 22 seconds. How did that inning feel? It's like, if my team wants to put up nine runs, then go for it. Like, you know, I mean, it's hard to stay loose, but, you know, tough shit.
1: That's outstanding. And I think that kind of brings to that brings to a head what the greater point is, is that the fact that you want to win before you get the no hitter, the no hitter is the byproduct of everybody having the same mentality of going out there trying to beat the other team that you're pitching against. Because I agree with you in the sense that you don't go out and as much as you want to go out and have the mentality of pitching a no hitter, the reality is that it happens so rarely that you, it's not going to happen all that often. So you don't go out there and go, "Oh my gosh, I've got to keep my no hitter." You're going to go out there and execute because the pitcher's mind is, um, "I've my slider's working today, my elevated fastball is working today," and I'm speaking of Aaron Sanchez. He had a great curveball. The fastball was working. Uh, And he just went out there and relaxed and pitched to what the numbers were being put down in front of him. So it kind of, you don't go blank, but you definitely get in a groove like Tuttle is talking about where you see the sign, you put down the sign and you go get it. You try and throw those pitches and have a good time making it happen. And then all of a sudden everybody else follows in line. I thought it was pretty unique that uh, Aaron Sanchez went out there, pitched his six innings, came back and let the other guys take over and the other guys in the bullpen recognized what was happening and they went out there and did a very good job man you're on your second one already
0: yeah my second one since the podcast started okay good
1: well maybe when I get done with this little segment and you start on what all Tuttle say it
0: says I'm gonna get into the jar too um well but you're you're at one you're looking at 1am I'm looking at like 10 950 yeah so this is this is turning in into sleeping
1: spot. meds good sound effects yeah <laughs> Thank you.
0: <laughs> I got a dog like mimicking a siren, and I got a, I got a crack cracking open of the beer. We should, by the way, this is a little segue or a aside. We should get some sound effects. I listen to a couple podcasts. This I guy's know. got like a yeah. I mean, we should just have a little like arr, arr, you know, or you know,
1: the fake applause in the back when Tuttle makes a great point.
0: <sighs> That's right. Um, yeah, you're you're the Sergeant Holka of this podcast, Blum, and you know, damn to you got to bring it home.
1: Damn right, the big toe's leading you. Um, but but the whole no hitter thing was great. Aaron Sanchez did a great job, and the other guys that came in and did a fantastic job also. But now being on the other side and calling the game, TK and I and TK and I don't we don't sit there and go, man, what if a no-hitter happens tonight? This is how we're gonna call it. You're it's kind of an organic thing that kind of builds with the momentum of the ball game. And around the fifth inning, when we saw Aaron Sanchez had no a no-hitter going, in between innings, we didn't even say anything to each other. We just kind of looked at each other out of respect of the game and kind of looked and we went, Man, Aaron Sanchez is really making this look kind of easy. And he came out through the sixth inning and we we did everything we possibly could to tell everybody at home there was a no hitter going on, but not saying the actual words no hitter. And I, you know, not that I felt like I was gonna jinx anything because I know that what's happening on the field has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm doing in the booth or what I tweet and i even had fans tweeting at me they're like there's a no hitter there's a no hitter and i didn't you know i didn't blow him up but i was just kind of like you know this one's on you it's not on me so uh if you feel like tweeting that out that's great but uh he proceeded to go out there and everybody else threw the no hitter but we didn't even
0: mention it what, why didn't you though i mean we've talked about it on the podcast and you know that you can't jinx it and i'm wondering if that's a tug of war between your playing days And your broadcasting days because of what I said, meaning you would never go up to guy in your dugout, you know, when you're with the white Sox and Burley's throwing his perfect game or whatever. I know he did that after you were there, but it's like, Hey, Mark, man, you're throwing the shit out of the ball tonight. You have eight perfect innings going like, I mean, that 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 isn't the jinx thing that we're talking about that's not jinxes are for the week that's like this guy's in the zone you don't want to mess with him but i'm just wondering as a broadcaster i mean why wouldn't tk say something or why wouldn't you and we do know there's that old rule so i am I'm, I'm just curious um
1: it it basically comes down to the medium that we work in because the medium we work in is television television we can able we are able to put graphics up that say you know, the line score that says these are the number of runs, these are the number of hits, these are the number of errors, and it speaks for itself. So we don't have to talk to it. And I actually had the conversation with Robert Ford, who works on our radio side. And I'm, you know, he said that he spoke about the no hitter on the radio, because you have to there you on the radio, they don't have the ability to see the graphic that we put up that says, you know, no runs, no hits, one error, whatever it is. You know, so we can kind of skirt around it. But there was a, a little bit of respect on my end, which was saying, you know, I want to maintain this positivity that is going on. And it is a little bit of the ball player in me where if I was in the dugout, I wouldn't have said anything to Aaron Sanchez. I would have kept slapping him on the butt and said, hey, dude, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Get the ball on the ground. Let us make some plays behind you. And we'll, we'll keep moving forward where even saying that it's the understanding, you know, we're You know what's going on, but you don't want to really talk about it, so to speak, because you're just kind of respecting the flow of the situation. But it turned out to be so much fun for Todd and I to sit in the booth and just kind of just nibble at the edges of actually saying no hitter and just getting more and more creative. So that's where the kind of the fun set set in for me. And having been no hit and having been on the side of a no hitter, I have never been more nervous in a broadcast than I was that night when he was doing that because I wanted, and this is where, you know, the respect of the game and the respect for the players that are on the field doing what they do. It was more, I wanted to make sure that we called the game accordingly and respected how the game was unfolding because I knew that people were watching number one, but also number two, when these guys go back and watch the highlights of this, of the game that they are doing, I wanted them to enjoy the broadcast also. I'm thinking about the player watching our broadcast.
0: And th- that's great insight. I, I mean, that's so cool. I think, I think we're really peeling back the layers here in the sense that I realize I already brought up oral Hirschheiser, but I, I think the winning part is really the most important part. And we, we end up talking a lot about personal accomplishments, like who's going to win the Heisman trophy and who's going to win the Cy Young and how much money does that guy get paid? We touched on that with Granky what really matters at the highest level and you, you touched on the Astros being the golden state warriors of baseball right now. I mean, it's really interesting to look at the Dodgers and uh, and the Yankees and those are the coastal teams. And those are always the favorites And the, I mean, the Astros are kind of like the Darth Vader of, you know, of baseball. I mean, they have like, the favorite, the odds-on favorite to win the World Series right now should be the Houston Astros. I don't know if they are. I haven't looked. But just like the Golden State Warriors before the season last year were like 7-1 to, to win the championship. I mean, they just should be the odds-on favorite because their lineup is, you know, disgusting. And their pitching staff now stronger. And you start having Aaron Sanchez throw no-hitters at the back end. I mean, we're, we're really peeling back the layers because I think the most important thing is winning and we start talking about these individual accomplishments. But I remember playing, I tried to pitch as well as I could every time. And I had plenty of games where, you know, maybe I give up two runs in seven innings. But guys like you, you said you just want to pat them on the butt and, you know, hey, Knuckles, like, hey, keep going out there, keep doing it. We'll get some runs for you. You're going to say that every time I'm out there. You know, if we're a team, we're a 20 fam- 25 man family, and we're a 25 man family that has a common goal. I mean, it's a great personal accomplishment on, this road to this, on the road to this goal. And, and I'll use another little uh, side story. Remember the uh, Golden State Warriors a couple of years ago were chasing that, uh, the wins record. And they chased it, and then they didn't win the World Series. Or, excuse me, then they didn't win the NBA championship. I think just like last year, the Astros had a really good year, but they didn't win it. And that's really all that matters. I keep seeing some tweets about, you know, the 2017 record at this point, 2018 record at this point, 2019 record at this point. I mean, the Astros are the best team in baseball for the last three years, but the only way that this is a satisfying season, I would assume, is if they win the World Series.
1: No, you're exactly right, especially with that trade that they just made with Zach Greinke. The ultimate goal is to go out there and win the World Series championship, and if they do not win, yes, I I would think that a lot of fans would feel that it would be disappointing. Even Jeff Luno might be able to comment that same thing, saying it is disappointing if they didn't go out there and win that uh, World Series. And now we are going to move into the bulk of our podcast. We have openers, you just listen to the open, and (laughs) even though we're pretty lengthy into this podcast we hope you're enjoying it but this is the moment that we've all been waiting for it is time now as i reload my drink here on this evening in baltimore it is time now for dig into the ice bucket what'll tuttle say
0: I'm looking at my list here, and I just have so many topics to cover, but I'm going to stick to our two topic format, one uh, that's either sports related or more serious, and then one funny topic I hope. So tonight's first topic on what'll tuttle say, and let's hope it's uh kind of uh, a little banter between you and myself. We are 43 minutes into the podcast, and we're just we're just rambling on tonight. It must be the uh, the two drink minimum that we're on. <laughs> But tonight, I just want to say this, and this is really hard because we haven't done left coast, third coast in a while. And uh, I was reading an article the other day about Clayton Kershaw, and I just can't believe this may go to the Darth Vader, the Houston Astros as the Darth Vader of uh, Major League Baseball. They're taking on the Warriors uh, persona. But Clayton Kershaw is ten and two with a two eight five. That was before this last start, I believe, because I haven't looked it up. But I'm not even a Dodgers fan; I'm a Giants fan. And I know Bumgarner threw seven scoreless innings last night or like one hit innings. And uh, seven seven innings, one hit, I think, last night. And uh, Clayton Kershaw's ten and two of the two eight five. Three years ago, they were just talking about him as a you know, potential Hall of Famer. They compare him to Sandy Koufax every time he goes out there. And as you kind of touched on before, it's great to pitch when you have a lineup, you know like the Astros or the Dodgers, you know, they're going to put up runs for you every night in battle. But what do you know, since you're in the American league right now, what do you know about Clayton Kershaw's year? I mean, is it, I think his velocity's back. I, I, I guess the Dodgers nerve, the nervous points now come uh, when Kenley Jansen takes the mound where two years ago, Kenley Jansen was like the lights out closer, but Clayton Kershaw seems to be back to his old form. And if they're going to give the Astros a run for their money, I mean, you know, maybe Rich Hill gets healthy. You got Clayton Kershaw and Walker Buehler who throws 98 every pitch. Um, I don't know. I mean, is Clayton Kershaw back?
1: You know what? I'm going to actually leave. I'm, I want you. the. I'm going to challenge you the rest of the season to keep an eye on the Dodgers for us because I really feel like that is the biggest threat in the National League. Uh, you really don't hear them talking about many other teams that, you know, the Chicago Cubs, St. Louis Cardinals, Milwaukee Brewers are all going to compete. But I really feel like you know the Buffalo Bills of the National League West, or the or, or baseball are the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I want I, I want to encourage David Tuttle to keep track of the Dodgers for us because he just asked me about Clayton Kershaw's uh, you know season how it's going, and <laughs> the only thing I know uh, that I remember most vividly about Clayton Kershaw is all the memes and gifs that are out there with him giving up the home run to Yuli Gurriel in. Game 5 of the 2017 World Series. So that being said, and trying to answer your question, I do not know what Clayton Kershaw is doing this season because all I hear about is Walker Buehler and uh, Ryu.
0: Yeah, yeah, Ryu's been great too. That's right, so I, I'm saying Rich Hill could come back and be the grand key for the Dodgers, but you're right. You got Ryu, and you have Buehler, and then maybe Kershaw in there. But, you know, I, I mean, Kershaw versus Miley, you know, and then you could put Granke up against Rich Hill if he gets back, and you have you know the other two, right? Verlander and Cole versus Bueller and Ryu. That that's a really good. That's why that's why the Dodgers are where they are. I guess. I mean, I, I, the Dodgers' nerves. Just I, I appreciate you challenging me, and I will kind of give you guys a scouting report moving forward because I'll, I'll I'll do my homework here on the West Coast. But um, but the Dodgers just to give you the inside scoop from the LA times, cause nobody reads that <laughs> um, the Dodgers holes are in the bullpen. And so, I mean, that's it. The, the back end of the bullpen used to kind of be lights out, obviously. And, um, and Kenley Jansen, again, we're back to the contract thing. You know, he signed a deal and Dave Roberts is sticking with him. But two years ago, he had like a one six ERA and he wasn't giving up anything. He was throwing the Mariano Rivera cutter at 96. And this year he's thrown it at 90 to 92 and that's hittable. You know, you know how that late movement works on the bat. And so the fact that your closer is hittable, um, sometimes those setup guys, where, where were we? Mario Rivera was a setup guy for John wetland. And I, I know John wetland's probably going to be a bad oh. word on this podcast. He's, he might be going away for a long time and I don't mean closing yeah. games, but, uh, but anyway, so he was setting up for wetland, and at many times you thought, "Oh, that guy's a better pitcher. I kind of think the Dodgers are probably grooming their next closer, and you' bring in Kenley Jansen because he has the experience in the contract and and honestly, um I know this is a an Astro's heavy podcast, but I think the the Osoon is probably your <laughs> you know i'm not saying you specifically I'm not going to point the finger at you, but probably the Astros kind of it's not a weak link, but Osuna is probably the most nerve wracking guy coming out of the bullpen, I guess at this point, would you, I mean, and I'm not saying that for you, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm saying, so it sounds like the Dodgers and the Astros kind of have the same spot that they're nervous about. And I would still trust Osuna more than Jansen. It just looks like that position, as you know, getting those last three outs is always the toughest, but I think, you know, Osuna seems to be I don't know. Just looking from afar, he seems to be the most challenged guy coming out of the bullpen.
1: No, you've got to be able to offer up your opinion, and I think people should respect it because you did pitch in the game. Granted, uh, you know, you, you grinded it out in the minor league system, but you've seen enough baseball and you understand the game well enough to know that there are going to be moments where guys do scuffle a little bit. And, you know, it's, you know, as soon as turning the corner, Presley's turning the corner, he just came off the I.L., But uh, those guys have very set and precise roles. And, you know, going back to Kenley Jansen, you talked about two years ago, and I know he's had a little bit of a a health issue in the last couple of years. But that home run by Marwin Gonzalez, I think, rattled the cage of that bullpen for for the Los Angeles Dodgers and maybe planted that seed of doubt moving forward. But that being said, I think it's going to be – it always comes down to the bullpen. And I think what's interesting to me is that you've got starters who go out there for five, six innings. And the emphasis over the last maybe five, six, seven years, you know this, with the uh, Giants winning you know, three world championships in the last ten years basically – Um, doing a good job is that you have to have that good bullpen. And there's so much emphasis on what these guys do out of the bullpen. And it's amazing to me, the amount of pressure and scrutiny on just three outs of every game for these guys. And that's got to be incredibly tough for these guys mentally to, to be able to handle, but also to be able to prepare for, because like you said about routine, you don't know, you know, you might be coming in in the eighth inning, but you don't know if you're going to come in and face three, four, five. Or if you're going to come in and face seven, eight, nine, which could be a little bit different situation because weaker hitters are put down in the bottom part of the order. No matter how how big or how deep your team is, that that seven, eight spot, seven, eight, nine spot mentally, even though they may not be you know se- typical seven, eight, nine hitters like in the Astros lineup, but mentally when you come into the game, you're saying, oh, I've got the bottom part of the order. I've the odds are in my favor. I'm going to go out there and do a great job, but uh it's crazy how it's been emphasized those three outs and it puts a lot of pressure on those guys and uh, it's a lot to deal with and if you're having a bad day or a bad moment or you don't have confidence in your stuff it only exaggerates and exasperates the situation
0: that's that's a great point so i closed Uh, i was a starter most of my career but i got traded to the dimebacks and i closed now granted it was a ball so i went back from double a to a ball (laughs) And I was closing and I had a lot of confidence. Like I was really, you know, maybe it's because I went back a level just to be traded over there. And um I had a ton of confidence coming in those games, but it was great to know who you were facing. And as you move up, like I, I probably found I had less success when it was the eight, nine, one because when you come came in facing three, four, five, and I remember that from college too. You know, if you're coming in facing three, four, five, you are on high alert, my friend. You're like I got a, I got a pinpoint. I got to have all my pitches going and, you know, every once in a while you got lucky too. you, you just, you threw a good first pitch fastball and the guy hit a two hopper to the shortstop and you got one out on one pitch or two pitches. And you're like, that's what I needed. And, and as you know, being around the game a long time, I mean, there's, there's so many dynamics. It's what part of the order you're facing, uh, what the mentality is. But I think what happens in the big leagues is stuff wins. And that's all I was kind of commenting about. We went, we, I mean, we started with Clayton Kershaw. His stuff seems to be back. He's doing great, and maybe he's flying a little under the radar. We kind of jumped into this what will Tuttle say with uh, now we're at Kenley Jansen and Osuna. But, you know, Kenley Jansen's stuff isn't what it was. And if it was, I think his confidence would be higher.
1: Yeah, and to your point, Kenley Jansen, you're talking about that cut fastball, much like Mariano Rivera. Mariano Rivera really didn't have a hiccup or lose velocity at all. That cutter just maintained itself and was consistent so he could rely on it. Kenley Jansen is used to pitching at a high velocity and just throwing it in there, not having to locate it. Mariano was a guy who could locate his cutter on both the inside and outside and tie these both sides of the plate up. And what's appealing about Roberto Osuna is that sometimes he can get erratic and he can miss the zone and be, you know, overthrow maybe a little bit too much sometimes. But the, the, the fact that Osuna can go out there with f- maybe four to five pitches, if you, if you talk about him being able to change velocity, that's what makes him a little more appealing to me is because he's not relying on one pitch and one velocity. He's relying on three, four, five pitches and changing velocity and delivery. So that makes him a little more creative and be, maybe able to adapt a little bit more as opposed to Kenley Jansen who has one pitch. And if that one pitch isn't working, then what? That's where probably the the problem in, in, ensues, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I think I honestly think these are almost two different conversations because we do talk about guys when they lose their mojo. I mean, we know that high level sports is a very mental game, but I've seen so many guys recover when they still have the stuff. When your mental game is tough and you still your stuff is deteriorating a little bit, you you can still you can still pull it off. But you, if you have your stuff deteriorating and your mental game going down, that's when it, that's when it blows up. So I think I, I'm just translating your point because you said something really positive about Asuna. Let's know that, Astros fans. He's positive about Asuna. is still a young guy. His stuff is there. So he may have two or three games where it's like, uh-oh, you know, he got hit here, we gave up a run, we lost a lead, whatever happened. Well, guess what? Asuna's still throwing 95-96, and he had a couple nights that weren't great but we're going to keep putting them out there. You know, Kenley was throwing 96-97. Now he's throwing 89-91. to 91. The ball's not moving as late. And he had, you know, Yuli take him yard, La Pina. And so he's, you know, he's in this position now where, uh, you know, now you're doubting kind of everything. And that's that age thing. That's that, oh, is this almost over thing? You know, that's a challenge.
1: Keep it going. rocket
0: right on so we started with kershaw and somehow we got to the closers folks so i don't know if that was good but i'm i promise to give everybody a scouting report on clayton kershaw as we go i just wanted i wanted to let everybody on the bleacher Blums podcast know that clayton kershaw for seven years was basically verlander he was the most talked about dominant pitcher in the game and for the last two years we haven't really talked about him but last year he had a really mediocre year just watch out astros fans kershaw is uh He's having a good year and we might have to deal with him in the playoffs. So, the next topic, and I don't know if this is as lighthearted as I wanted it to be, but I've got some other things too. But um, I know you'll blum, uh, you'll blum in on this. You'll jump in on this, Blummer. Is uh, people, this is almost like the AirPods thing, people that won't change their opinion no matter what. Like, I think that is hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> right everybody knows these kind of folks it's kind of like and i and i'm not going to get political i'm not going to go crazy i'm just saying you know i'm an opinionated guy that's why i like this podcast i'm a type a personality personality look at that two beers and i'm slurring my words um type a personality i like to uh kind of let people know what i think about that as well but man when you make a good point like hey here's point a point b and point c i'm like oh Hey, I never considered that before, or, Hey, you've been in that, in the trenches in that industry, or you've been in the trenches, you know what, you know, you know what you're talking about. That, that makes sense to me, but you meet these people and these aren't, I want to clarify, these aren't just the people you go to a cocktail party with. And they're like, Oh my God, there's the blabber mouth in the corner. He won't shut up. Like, that's not the guy I'm talking about. I'm talking about the guy that you're in the corner. like, Hey, you know, this is my experience. This is what I found you know? Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, really? Yeah. I totally disagree with that. Well, what about this, this, and this? Oh no, that's just, that's, that's a lie. That's like fake news. And you're like, all right. Okay. You know, I mean, there are people that will not change their opinion, no matter what. I don't know how those people came, came to this, uh, you know, came to light or came to fruition, but, uh, those are the people that wear me out. Let me try and give a better example. Um, I think I told you, I met at at a party one time, actually it was uh, at a golf club a guy that said that um professional baseball players make too much money <laughs> this is kind of what started the th- so so no but here's the punchline that's not you're <laughs> laughing already i haven't even got to the punchline professional baseball players make too much money they can't have a union what that's what he said so he was what? basically yeah yeah right so <laughs> yeah that was his point And I said, well, that's, that is a silly argument, sir, right? Here's my politeness. That's a silly argument, sir, because unionizing and being a labor force has nothing to do with the amount of money you make. It really has to do with having some leverage. And if you go back to the history of baseball and I'm going to bore the people on the podcast, blah, 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 blah. Yes. The owner puts in the investment. Yes. The owner is wealthy, but you know, I mean, this is this in here's the rub i mean how do you make your money oh yeah make it on the backs of these workers these laborers so right so anyway so it's however you compartmentalize or define it and i just i think you know i don't think i change his opinion but i it, you you can see it in a lot of different walks of life and those people wear me out and i hope some of those people listen to this podcast and then you can get at us on at twitter or whatever else and we can change your opinion about something i don't know but uh Blumber, do you have any thoughts about people that won't change their opinion no matter what i mean i'm sure oh. you've met a person like this in w- your welcome. life welcome Lupinella,
1: baby <laughs> good point yeah welcome to bleach your blums yeah. after dark uh no and i and i think that's where we are as a society right now is where it's so just if you don't think my way you're an idiot kind of thing and you know it, the reason Tuttle and I started this podcast is because we liked the conversation. Because maybe there were moments when we were talking in the parking lot, we didn't necessarily agree on everything, and we had different opinions. And Tuttle would bring something up, and I'd kind of take a step back and I go, "Man, I never thought of that." So that's kind of the beauty of having a conversation is that you're able to understand or hear a different point of view, and 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 respect the fact that that person has that opinion, but don't be so rigid in the fact that you can't you can't understand or even recognize the 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 comment or the opinion you know i think that's where separation and divide starts to starts to happen and you know what it's kind of great i was watching you know i watched the monitor on our broadcast today and i see couples i see families in the stands one has an orioles hat on the other one has an astro hat on they understand that they like two different things, but they also understand that they're going to have the conversation. They're going to be combative, but by the end of the day, they're going to go back home and enjoy each other, hug each other, kiss each other goodnight, and say, I love you. And that's where we all should be right now with that sports mentality. Bring your argument. Bring bring some of the angst. Bring some of the conversation and understand that you are passionate about something to the point where you can, you can express it, and if you're on the other side, be to the point where you're passionate about your side also, but listen, just listen a little bit and maybe offer a counter argument to, to create the conversation. And then at the end of the day, guess what? We're all boys. We're all friends. We're all lovers. Whatever it is that you are to that person, have that conversation and move on. But you cannot, I, I'm with you in the sense that you can't be so rigid that me listening to your opinion, I go, no, you're an idiot. You know, I mean, that's so such a harsh tone to be able to take with somebody that I don't get because I haven't lived in your shoes. Maybe you do feel that that is a fact, and the way I feel is a fact. But you know, it, you've got to be able to have the conversation. That's the only thing that I really implore is that you're able to have the conversation and respect the other person's opinion because that's where I think things get kind of lost, and that may be a tangent or that may be Tito's talking. I don't know what it is, but. That's kind of where we are at a society, but I always try and draw the parallel between athletics and sports and baseball into, you know, how it, how it adapts to life. And I just love the fact that I can see a couple in the seats wearing two different uniforms, cheering for their team. But when they go home at night, Hey, we're the best of friends. We're going to hug it out. We're going to have a good time. We're going to go to bed, go to bed, wake up tomorrow and be best of friends. That's the way it should be.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, being from SoCal, I mean, you got house divided down here, USC, UCLA folks that got married mm-hmm. and, uh, and you know, you took that to a different place than I thought. And it, it, it's so true. I mean, I, I, I wish I had a stronger, um, kind of example of what I'm talking about, but, but I think you took it to a good place, which is, you know, three cocktails, couple beers in, I mean, this, we, we all, we all need to get along. I think that's in a movie. Why can't we all just get along? <laughs> I and mean, we, do, we do need to get along we get divided when we get in this place. But I think um, if you go into a conversation thinking that you're right, no matter what, then, uh, then, you know, it's going to be a combative kind of, uh, you know, divided argument. And that's not a great place to be.
1: No, it's not. You know, what's, uh, what's awesome too. And I just love the fact that sports bring out, you know, some of the passion and some of the best in people game five of 2017, last year at Minute Maid, I'm not last year, 2017 game five of the world series. There were a lot of Dodger fans at Minute Maid Park. There were a lot of Astro fans. And that was one of those seesaw, back-and-forth type games where you're like, yeah, we totally were going to whoop you. We're going to win this game. Oh, man, we just we gave up the lead. Now the Dodgers have a chance. And by the end of the game, even though the Astros won, I was walking out of that ballpark at Minute Maid Park, and there were Dodger fans high-fiving Astro fans saying, dude, even though I can't stand you and I can't stand your team, that was one hell of a game and we should just appreciate the fact that we went out there and cheered our brains out and had a good time and we're going to wake up tomorrow and have another good day.
0: Now we're back to uh the the motto of like youth sports which I'm always telling my kids, right? You want to have fun, you want to work your butt off, right? You do your best and then mm-hmm. you want to have good sportsmanship behind it. And I think the the term fan, obviously short for fanatic has lost some of that and we know I don't want to take this to a dark place, but, you know, Giants fans and Dodger fans, I mean, there's always a scuffle in the parking lot. There's, you know, yeah. um, I think his last name is Stowe got beat up a couple years ago in Dodger Dodger stadium. And, you know, there's incidents all over the world, uh, at least all over in stadiums about fans getting after it, especially at NFL games. And it, that, that, that's really kind of heartwarming because I think we don't talk about that enough or cover that enough. I mean, you have, you know, you go to the game, even as a fan and you watch the teams play their hearts out and you know, game five, game six, game seven of the world series, you know, there are a lot of tears shed, you know, the winners and losers, the losers are crying and the, the winners are happy as can be. And to see the fans, like you said, high five or, you know, give each other knuckles. It'll be like, Hey, we're going to be back tomorrow and get you. I mean, you know, it brings a smile Mm -hmm. to my face. It's a great place. So I guess we got a little series here on what'll Tuttle say. I got, I got like nine other topics. We're like 65 minutes into this thing. I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass out before we get there. So we got we got to wrap up what'll Tuttle what I'll say because we're just uh, we're just going off on tangents, folks.
1: No, we are. It might be a little bit of the sauce talking. It might be a little bit of the late night talking, but it is good. I hope you're enjoying the podcast, Bleacher Blums. Maybe taking a little bit of a left turn tonight with the late night Bleacher Blums after dark. And I'm gonna try and have a little bit of fun, lighten things up. Um, I've got. Several things on my docket, but here we go with Blum and Blummer. Huh. I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was
0: thinking the same thing.
1: That's Jeff Blum's full of shit, man. There's a couple of things. I'll try and put them in succession to to hopefully give a little more of a timeline and help you understand how things are going. Um, the Home Run Derby. I hit in the home run derby against Brian Bogusevic, uh, Luke Scott, and Brandon Backey. It was kind of odd that I was hitting against Brandon Backey. I got traded for him in 2003, which uh, put me in the situation where I was traded to the Chicago White Sox. We won't talk about that anymore. Brandon Backey had a great career with the Houston Astros. And my entire goal, truth be told, was to not lose to Brandon Backey. It was to be able to go out there and, and salvage my reputation and be able to hit a couple more home runs than he did. And fortunately I hit five home runs. I I went two up on uh, what I did the year before I beat Brandon Backey, who was a pitcher in the, co- in the uh, competition. And eventually Bran- Brian, Brian went out there, dude, he was hitting tanks into the upper tank uh, with consistency and he hit way too many of them. I was really impressed at 35 years old. I'm surprised there wasn't a scout out there that decided to sign him, but. Truth be told, the next day, and wait, we're about four days out, I'm still sore, man. Dude, I'm, I'm almost as old as dirt in baseball terms, and for me to be able to try and hit baseballs out of a professional ballpark is almost beyond my capability and ability At this age, I was pretty happy to hit five out, but at the same time, man, dude, I woke up the next three, four days, and I am in pain. My torso is still crushing me. Uh, Every once in a while, I roll over and try and get out of bed. My hamstrings are tight as can be. Hitting a baseball that hard to try and get it out is absolutely painful, and this is where Tuttle steps in in all of his CrossFit greatness and says that I'm weak, but dude, I took a beating after that home home run derby.
0: Uh, I had a couple of things. I know I texted you or tweeted you during the one time talking about uh, <laughs> launch angle and exit velocity and things like that, but it would have been fun to get some of those, you know, I, getting old is hard. You know, when you, when you coach young kids, I remember my high school coach saying, Hey, Hey, get loose, like warm up. You know, you're throwing, you know, everything you got right out of the chute. I think this is, this is when all of those those pieces of advice kind of, you know, ding, the light bulb goes on because, uh, you know, obviously you you are around baseball still and you played for quite a long time, but, you know, who knew hitting a ball 350 feet, you know, out of a major league ballpark would, would be so hard. And I think the other thing, and you know this uh, from shooting a free throw at the Rockets game or golfing when we head out there, it's, uh, you know, every once in a while you hit, a golf ball and you don't even feel the ball hit the club face and the ball just goes out there and you're like oh that felt so good so smooth it's like when they say don't try so hard you're trying to mash every ball. I mean, like you are not relaxed. You're not giving it the old like finger waggle on the bat, right? Like you're just you got that thing. You're squeezing sawdust out of the, sawdust out of the handle, and you're trying to hit it eight miles. I mean, I think that it's so no, true. It is. I, and I think that would make anybody, you know, nervous. I told you on the last podcast, you just better better make sure you beat the pitcher, and you did. So I think I think goal goal accomplished.
1: So I salvaged that opportunity, and fortunately, I had the next couple of games off. And the funniest thing about the days off, and you, you know, it, I, I appreciate the fact that people recognize when we're not on the broadcast because they appreciate how myself, TK, and Julia work together. Um, but the funny part about days off is that I played for 14 years, played in the minor leagues, whatever you want to say, however uh, the amount of time. I did not take one day off unless I was injured. You know, I never walked in and go, man, Skip, you know what? I got a little bit of a chest cold. I can't go today. It was never that situation. You didn't have that excuse. You had to be available on a daily basis. If you weren't available, you'd be, you know, DFA'd, optioned, put on the D L or IL, whatever it was. You were you were you were cast aside. So you never wanted to be that guy. And now that I'm in the broadcast business, it's funny to me. And I, you know, hopefully my employers aren't listening to this because they'll ask me to do 162 games a year, but they say, you know what, take a couple of days off, rest, recharge, get ready for the ne- you know, for the next stretch. So it's funny that I take a, a abuse on Twitter, not necessarily abuse, but it, you know, there's, it's kind of tongue in cheek criticism saying, you know what, physically I played every day for 14 years unless I was injured. But while I sit in a chair and talk about baseball, I need time off to rest and recharge. It's kind of funny that we have to do that.
0: I don't think that's Twitter that crushes you. I think that's your buddies on text. I think they're like, "What are you doing? You played <laughs> every day, it right?" Is
1: more, it's like teammates and friends? Yeah,
0: right? the, those are the people that would get after you. I also notice it didn't like hinder you from heading out on the golf course like right after. As far. <laughs> so, it's the truth. Yeah, so the, I'm sure that you know tongue in cheek, obviously, but I'm sure that you, uh, you were able to get yourself around, I think, but it, 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 it is really funny. I I've thrown a baseball. I play catch with my daughter. I do things. And I mean, I haven't thrown like a 60 foot, six inch, like bullpen in a long time. And you think, Hey, I could get on there and do that. And it's been 10, 15, 18, 20 years since I've done it. Like what we used to do and what you were able to do. It's just not that easy. And I don't mean it's not an easy skill. I mean, this is something that you you know it's a young man's game and and we learn that quickly and i still like to think of myself as young but man you know 20 years ago it just was so easy to throw the ball 60 feet six inches and now i don't even know if i could do it more than five times and hit my spot so uh you know hats off to you i think it's fun that you do it i think one of these years you're gonna have to uh stay in the broadcast booth and call the home next home run derby i know isn't that weird you're gonna have like all right you know, we're going to get these five dudes out here and you're going to be up there calling it. I don't know, you're going to be the Chris Berman of the uh, Houston Astros Home Run Derby. I don't know how to take that. Tuttle
1: Hoyt's radio silent on me. Uh Yeah, hopefully someday I am broadcasting one of those home run derbies because, yeah, physically it is a little bit of a beating and you're right, trying to swing as
0: hard as you possibly give, can. Um, give us the numbers moving again. Moving on. Oh, what do you got? How many Bogusevich hit? How
1: many? And you hit how many? Oh, Bogusevich, I think hit like 25 home runs. Luke Scott hit like 12. I hit five and Backey hit four. So I did just enough to beat Brandon Backey. 25 home runs? Dude, he hit like 12 in the first round, 12 in the next round. It was off the charts. It was ridiculous. And he made it look easy, too. That's the part that really pissed me off is that he's just taking like casual hacks and hitting them about three ninety?
0: So Luke Scott's the one that flies under the radar. Cause two years ago, didn't Luke Scott like crush everybody and win the whole thing. So maybe mm-hmm. that's, that's more indicative of this age thing here, right? Like Luke Scott hit like 90, then he hit 70, then he hit 50. And now he's like, all right, I'm just going to hit 12 and my back hurts and I'm shutting it down. I don't know. I mean, you tell me. Yeah,
1: no, he was an interesting conversation. I, he told us that he figured out hitting, but, lost to Bogus So I don't think I'm gonna I'm gonna err on the side of Bogus who figured out how to hit that home run. Um and the final thing on Blum and Blummer is that, dude, for the last two years I have been grinding out on road trips watching Game of Thrones. I thought that I would be a part of pop culture and I would understand the phenomenon. And then I watched the final episode and finally got through it. Tuttle and I this is going to be a quick segment because I know you didn't watch it and all I'm gonna say is don't. And I know that we've I've made some comments off air that we can't say on air. Um, don't watch it because everybody just walks away at the end, and I was thoroughly annoyed. I wanted a little more dramatic. I wanted like you know the fist in the air, like I rule the world, all seven kingdoms. But instead, everybody went their separate ways, and we just kind of rode off into the sunset. And I was like, what the heck? I just invested how many hours of my life into this thing, and all you're going to do is stab one of the one of the queens, and then roll off into the
0: thoroughly annoyed late night podcast i'm not afraid to pull out early uh it i i stopped i i watched two seasons oh you did and i'm like you know what yeah oh yeah i watched the first two seasons i think my wife started reading it actually game of thrones was a book that was adapted for tv i don't know if anybody knows that but well i hope the ending of the books were better anyway i i watched it for oh i didn't read the books but I watched the first two seasons and I was, I was kind of done with it and I don't, I don't succumb to peer pressure. So I, uh, I, I was fine to, I was fine to tap out. I, I'm just, I, I know the whole remember the, when friends was on TV and everybody was like, Oh, we're going to have a friends watching party. And then there was 90210 <laughs> and Melrose place. And I've just been told via Twitter, I guess that 90210 is actually back on television. Like, Oh my God, please shoot me now. Uh anyway, I never went to TV watching parties and when everybody says that Game of Thrones was the greatest show or you got to watch the la- last episode of Lost, that's not easy to say. The last episode of Lost or uh that Sopranos, everyone's disappointed with the end of Sopranos. I've started watching Sopranos again. Dude, that is a great TV show. It is good. I don't have a problem with the I don't have a problem with the ending, but I you know, you don't have to scare me away from Game of Thrones cuz whatever it was, seven, eight seasons. I tapped out after two and I'm not turning it back on. So I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I could give you the synopsis and you'd probably be like, oh yeah, I saw that coming. Um, but it, but, but the, with the invention of the DVRs and Netflix, Hulu, Prime Video, I mean, you don't have to have watch parties. You can binge watch on your own and get those things done, but don't watch Game of Thrones. Don't, don't invest the
0: time. Ooh. Yeah, I'm gonna. Let's hope we get let's get let's get a blummer on Twitter. There's got to be some people out there like Game of Thrones. We're Game of Thrones haters, people. We're gonna get on Twitter. Hashtag Game of Thrones haters. Get after us. G O T haters.
1: Yep. <laughs> I yeah. I uh, yeah, I, w- I was just so disappointed that I put that much time and effort into it to watch everybody just kind of ride away. I was like, what, Are you kidding me? I need some finality. I need some death. I need some like consequence to what's happened throughout the course of this thing and everybody just kind of nodded at each other and rolled out. But uh that's the end of blum and blummer and man, this has been an excessive podcast. We we have gotten after it. You're still smiling. I'm about to I am going to bring my pillow over to the computer and the microphone so I can take a nap. But uh I'm
0: gassed. I'm just thinking of a I don't think people are tuning into the Bleacher Blums podcast for their Game of Thrones update. but spoiler <laughs> alert they all ride off into the sunset <laughs> You're just, yeah, don't watch it, they all go their own separate ways wait a second, I was going to watch the last episode, I yeah, just uh,
1: I'm glad I can be those I'm, I'm always glad to be the buzzkill uh, and, and, and I think that's going to bring it to a close I know that Tuttle probably has some final comments if you want to bring them right now, are you done? I'm done <laughs>
0: I'm actually, I've been done for like 15 minutes. I just, I just think it's funny that when we get, finally get rolling, our longest podcast has been an hour. We're at like 78 minutes. So we're, people are going to tune out at some point, but uh, yeah. So my last few comments would just be, uh, again, we're super happy that the uh, Bleacher Plums, Bleacher, see, I can't even say Bleacher Plums. The Bleacher blums podcast has taken off and uh, we really appreciate you folks as listeners um we do have some merchandise that we're working on we just got the prototype of the t-shirts you might see uh jeff blum wearing one i don't think he can wear it to work but uh i'm gonna post a picture on twitter of us wearing some of the stuff and we're gonna get rolling here so uh once the football season starts we're gonna talk a little more about fantasy football we may get a fantasy football league going with uh some of our friends and uh maybe talk gambling a little bit so Remember, we're going to talk gambling on this podcast, but don't bet on it. What do you got, Plumber?
1: That's right, Toll. This podcast is all over. It's been an eventful evening, and I appreciate the fact that you've put in the effort to go out there and try and get that logo on a couple of t-shirts. We've got some prototypes, like he said. We will try and get that up and running and get the product to the people because you guys have done a great job of tuning in and listening to Bleacher Blum's been an eventful evening, but at the last of the show, I want to just kind of reach out and uh, tell everybody in El Paso that we are thinking about you. We're praying for you. We pray that healing comes fast and uh, Dayton, Ohio. Also, we pray that healing comes fast and we will be praying and have you guys in our thoughts and to all the first responders who respond to these types of situations. Uh, we are we are cheering for you. We appreciate you, and we are grateful for everything that you bring to the table to keep us safe throughout the world. And of course, we want to thank our military doing a great job across the globe, keeping us safe and keeping us free right here in America. But that's it. Bleacher Blums after dark. What an event! Most of all, get after it and believe it. When you single touch, Lord. Just through